Lord together. Um, we are, oh, a couple of introductions I want to make here. Uh, first of all, I just want to share, you know, it's very encouraging to hear this past week. Uh, you know, when, when we have somebody in the church sort of make a decision to uh, leave, turn their back on God and his people and these kind of things, they wander. And many times, uh, you know, through the journey, their own journey, they end up finding God again and coming back. And, and we call that in our church, we call that somebody who's being restored back to their relationship with God and back to uh, the body of Christ and the community of believers. And so I want to introduce or announce that we had a sister in our singles ministry uh, get restored this past week. And that's Andrea Baca. And she's right here. You guys stand up, Andrea. You guys stand up. Come on now. You guys stand up. This is, uh, we just want to share, Andrea, we are so proud of you, and this is to God's glory. And um, we celebrate, as a family of believers, we got to celebrate when somebody comes back uh, into the fold like that. Amen? Uh, It's very, very exciting and encouraging. Uh, We have another, uh, a sister and her son visiting here from the church in Guadalajara. And that's Blanca right here, uh, and her son, Liam, right there. There we go. And uh, last year, uh, last year, our students, a lot of our students went to Guadalajara for uh, like a, a two-week trip to just work with the church that we have there that we support. And, uh, and Blanca, Blanca and her family actually hosted some of the students in their homes, and now uh, she's bringing her son to join our teens as they're going to go to teen camp tomorrow. Uh, so it's really cool, and uh, I'm really excited about that. Wow, hello. And uh, I'm very excited uh, for that opportunity for him, and they're, we're praying that his, her other son uh, is with their dad. She, his dad, her husband right now, and they're trying to make it over here as well uh, to come, but it has some visa issues and stuff like that. So uh, we're hoping that they can make it this week, but I just love the partnership that we're developing with our church in Guadalajara. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, my parents actually started that church in Guadalajara, and now it's a church of about close to 300 members, and uh, so I was about my daughter's age when we moved there, and so it's kind of cool now as an adult to be able to uh, reconnect with the, the church there in Guadalajara, and uh, our missions contribution that we give every year that we're still giving uh, today goes towards supporting the churches in Mexico. Uh, Guadalajara is actually a church that's self financially self-supporting, and they actually have sent out different uh, churches to plant uh, uh, mission teams in different parts of Mexico. And so the missions that we send to Guadalajara is actually going to support these smaller churches out in the, in the province uh, of Mexico. And so uh, we're very grateful uh, for that opportunity. Um, and amen. We're going to go to God in prayer, and I want to pray for our teens as they're going to teen camp tomorrow, and we got to, <laughs> and there's going to be a, a close to, just, if you're here for the first time and you're like, why are they so excited to leave for teen, teen camp is awesome. Teen camp is awesome. Now, you, we call it teen camp, but if you actually go to the place where they're going to camp, it's actually like a, like a five-star retreat center. I mean, it's hot springs, it's nice. The food, they don't even have to make their own, they're, they're served food and everything. It's incredible. 
it's like a step up. Marina and I used to work with the teens for many years, and we actually directed the teen camp for, for several years. And it's a step up from where we used to be. We used to be in cabins and, like, bunk beds and stuff like that. This is, like, you know, soft, nice pillows. And anyway, that's probably why they're really excited to go. Um, but also, uh, we are, you know, just if you're here for the first time, just to get an understanding here, we, uh, we are part of a broader church family called the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. And uh, there's going to be teens, high school students from all over this L.A. church that are going to be attending. It's about 500 students all together in one location, worshiping God, learning about God, getting in God's word. It's going to be an amazing time. So we're going to pray for them. We're also going to pray for the adults who are going to be there as counselors and as staff. We're going to be supporting them and, and spiritually mentoring them uh, during this time because they're probably going to need a lot more uh, prayer than the teens. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and, uh, but if we can, we're going to pray for them, but if we can also keep them in our prayers this week, you know, as, as a church, we want to be a next gen- a generational church. So let's keep our teens in, the, in our prayers this week as they go to teen camp, that this can be a really incredible time for them to grow spiritually. Um, I would like to selfishly ask for your prayers because I'm actually going to be preaching there on the last night of their camp and I haven't preached to teens I haven't preached to teens in, like, years. So that's the most nerve-wracking audience to preach to. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I know my Long Beach teens will have my back while we're there uh, this week. So we're going to say a quick prayer for our teenagers and for our time in God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. We're so thankful to be uh, here this morning. We come. We come here... Many of us will come here with challenges that we've experienced this past week, uh, even this morning, just getting here. Weary, burdened, tired, distracted, thinking about other things. And I just ask, Father, that through the music that we were able to experience together, through a hug given or received, through the reception of your word right now as we read your word, that we would take a moment to just slow our minds, to pause, to be still, and to remember that you are God, that you're in control, that you're always moving, your Holy Spirit is powerfully moving amongst your gathering, your assembly, your people. Father, we thank you so much for the GLB Church, and we thank you so much that we get to be part of this local church specifically as we strive to be a church that helps move people towards Christ, that we, as we strive to be a launching pad for world change through our communities and our in our surrounding cities, Father, that we, we become a generational church, that we think long-term. I'm so grateful for the resources that the church provides to have an exciting and, and powerful and spiritual faith-building teen ministry here in the church. And we pray for our teens as they go to camp tomorrow. We pray for all of the adults who are serving as counselors and as staff, as many of them are going to go up there today to get prepared for to receive all the teens tomorrow. And we pray for safety on the bus as they take the bus over there. We pray for uh, your spirit to do his work in a powerful way. And that this week, as we, as those of us who are staying back will be here, that we will keep our teenagers and the adults who are serving there in our prayers. And that we would see great miracles happen, great breakthroughs of faith because of the experience that these teenagers get to have, these students get to have. Uh, together there this week. We we praise you and we honor you. We thank you that you have provided such an incredible opportunity 
for young people to find you, to grow in you, to build relationships, spiritual bonds that will last a lifetime. And we pray that uh, you would provide an incredible experience uh, this week, Father. Father, there are many other health needs in our congregation that we want to put before you and just ask for your continual healing and comfort. Uh, There are relatives who have passed away recently, different members, and uh, we just ask for your continual uh, provision and comfort um, and guidance through some of these dark and, uh, and difficult times, Father. Help us to choose to trust you. Have faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I was talking about um, God's faithfulness and just talking about how God uh, is, when we make decisions in our lives that are even outside of God's will or outside of his desires, that he still shows up in those moments and, and decides to bless it or, or course correct in order to be back on his will or whatever the case may be. And we studied in the, in the Old Testament how the Israelites wanted a king, but, uh, you know, God was like, you're rejecting me. You don't need a king, but they still wanted a king. And he gave them a king and then ended up blessing them because through King David, is, through the line of, of David is where Jesus comes from. And kind of different aspects about God. My whole point last week was let's just, can we just take a moment to take pause and just worship God and just realize how awesome God is. That was the whole point of that whole lesson last week. And then in continuing that in that same theme, I was like, you know what? Let's just take a moment today to worship God a little bit more. Because there's some things that God does. Have you ever have you ever thought about God and what he does and just said, ask yourself, why does he do that? Why does he allow that to happen? Why did he do it that way? I had a better idea. You could have done it this way, God. I mean, you ever wonder why God does things the way he does them? Why his whole plan of saving the world would come through a rebellious nation that doesn't listen to him? Why he would be okay with a flawed king, you know, King David, who's sinful and and worldly, and as, as but that's his vessel to bring about the family line that would lead to Jesus? Why he would take so long to bring about his amazing plan through Christ? I mean, you're talking about thousands of years, God. Why, why did you take so long? And then why he would make us, like the church, his new vessel to proclaim his plan and the good news of Jesus? I mean, look at us. Flawed, tired, weary, rebellious, disobedient. And yet God tells his angels in Ephesians 3, 3.10, he says, you know, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the heavenly authorities. So in other words, God's like, hey, angels, come over here. Check out that assembly right there. And now you'll learn about my wisdom. Those angels must be like, God, what are you talking about? They barely wanted to be there this morning. We're flawed. We're a mess. And yet... God says, no, that's my answer for the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I step back and I'm like, why? That's a mystery to me. That's like, I don't know why God would do that. And God's ways are so much higher than my ways. If it was me, I would have had a few floods, a few Noah's arcs. You know what I'm saying? I would have, <laughs> I would have a few more do-overs. Oh, that was messed up. I'm going to wipe them all away and start all over again. Like, but God's ways are so much higher. 
When we pause to consider God's ways and how he has worked over generations, we can, we can either get upset and frustrated with him, or we can stand in awe and worship him. And today what I want to do is I want to lead us to just, to just worship the Lord. I want to lead us to worship him for what he has done and for who he has chosen to carry out this incre- his incredible plan. Jesus, he's walking down the street here with some of his guys, some of his followers, and they're having a conversation. And, and Matthew, uh, who was a tax collector that ended up leaving everything to follow Jesus, and tax collector back in that day was somebody who you did not want to hang out with. And yet Jesus was like, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Come hang out with me. So Matthew records this conversation in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So all these guys are different prophets that God had sent, uh, Jeremiah, Elijah, uh, that God had sent in the Old Testament to present uh, predictions and prophecies uh, about the Israelite nation. So some say that you're one of those guys. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered. Now, if you've got, you got to know something about Simon Peter. If you read the Bible, if you read the New Testament, you realize Simon Peter always has something to say without even thinking about it. He just got to say something. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now look at Jesus' response here. He says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter declares who he believes Jesus is, and with that, Jesus uses a play on words. Peter, Petros, rock, pebble, and makes one of the most profound and amazing statements that on that statement, on this, you know, th- this, this Jesus is Messiah, the Lord, on that I will build my church. And the translation here gives us the word church, which in the, in the, in the original Greek, uh, the word is actually ekklesia. It's, it, ekklesia means a gathering, an assembly, a congregation. So if you go to a football game and everybody's there congregated, assembled to watch the football game, that's ecclesia. Does that make sense? Now, through history, they've changed this word to church, which means more, it's a German translation, which means house of the Lord. It's more of a place. So the word there is a little bit flawed in its meaning of what Jesus meant. Because Jesus did not predict a place. He predicted a people. This assembly, this gathering, this, this, this assembly, this congregation of Jesus' followers, nothing would overcome it. Nothing would destroy it because it belongs to Jesus. That's what he's saying. I'm gonna, on this statement, I'm going to build my gathering. My assembly. Years later, this gathering of followers expanded throughout the Mediterranean world, and small assemblies of Jesus' followers would meet together to remember every week, they would meet together to remember God raising Jesus from the dead. 
And one of the apostles, Paul, he would provide incredible insight into how the assembly could work and function and treat each other. So it's interesting, Paul started up a lot of these assemblies, a lot of these gatherings, and, and, and a lot of the letters that he wrote back were, had to do more with how the church, how the assembly should function and work together. It really wasn't about uh, going and evangelizing the world. It was more about how do we work together? How do we reflect the image of Christ together? Now, in one of these letters, he writes about the church, and it's interesting. He uses the marriage relationship, husband and wife, to explain the church. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, what's funny about Paul when he writes this, right after he writes that statement, this is a profound mystery. He had just quoted in a, a scripture from Genesis that a man will leave his family and be joined one flesh with his wife. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. He says, but, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And right after that statement, it's kind of funny. He's like, however, husbands, love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. Like, it's kind of funny how Paul writes it. So he's sort of, he's writing about husbands and wives. And then he's like, but I'm really talking about the church and Christ. That's the big deal. But back to my tangent, husbands and wives love each other. <laughs> like, it's kind of funny the way that Paul presents it. But this is, this is what he was most concerned about, most passionate about. Yes, there are some incredible principles here about marriage and husbands and wives. But to him, the profound mystery was Christ and the church, the gathering, the assembly. Think about that for a minute. God's Spirit, through Paul, uses the most intimate human relationship to describe what his relationship is like with the church. Let that sink in a little bit. God uses the most intimate human relationship to describe what his feelings, what his perspective is on his relationship with the church. That this gathering, the assembly of Jesus' followers, a people that Christ loved so much that he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, presenting her to himself as a radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. You may read this and think about your church experience growing up, and it reflects nothing from what this verse says. But you see, Jesus never messed up the church. He's over here sprinkling, he's over here washing her with water, cleansing her to make her holy and radiant, blameless before the Lord. You and I, we mess up the church. And still, 
Jesus gives himself up for this assembly. To Paul, this is a profound mystery. That Christ would give himself up for the church and become one in flesh with the gathering, the assembly. In other words, this is, this is, this is holy. This is sacred. This is special. And yet, we're so quick to gossip and slander about one another or about leaders in the church. And yet we are so quick to complain about the music or the sermon or the life stage ministry we're, we're currently in. Or, or yet we're so okay with, with not being on time or with missing a gathering. Oh, it's just a midweek gathering. I'll come next time or take a break. I'll take a break until we start small groups again. Oh, I don't really get anything out of our small groups, so I'm just going to come on Sundays. We're so nonchalant about what Jesus says, this is, this is my bride. This is sacred. This is holy. This is special. I'm cleansing her to be blameless and radiant before my God. We're so quick to jump from church to church simply because of styles of preaching or music or my needs, quote unquote, are not being met. God's like, didn't you see what I've done for the church? You're over here complaining about something. God's over here like, wait. Haven't you seen, didn't you realize that my son died and gave himself up for the church? And you can't be on time when she assembles? You care more about being on time for work than for when my people gather? You're totally fine with missing several weeks of gathering with other Christians? This is my plan, God says. This is my plan. This is my way of changing the world. I'm making her holy and radiant and blameless. I'm feeding her and providing for her that you would doubt my plan, that you would criticize my plan, and then I can start hearing him like with Job. I don't know if you guys have read Job 38, 39, 40. He's like, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I made this happen and that happen? You know, brace yourself like a man. I'm questioning you now. You know, this is, this is God talking to Job. And sometimes I can, I can imagine him thinking this with us. Where were you when it was my idea to put a bunch of people from all different backgrounds together and say, that's my way of changing the world. That's my vessel of how I'm going to get the message out to the whole world. It's through this group of flawed and sinful people. Just watch. But the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, maybe instead, I want to challenge us today that maybe instead of complaining about church, we need to spend more time in reflection and in worship to God because of it. That this here is sacred. It's of God. It's holy. You know, just as someone feeds, right? It says right here, just as someone feeds and cares for their own body, so Jesus feeds and cares for his own body. How does he do this? What does he provide? Here, here are three gifts 
that Jesus provides and gives to his body. You guys follow me here? You guys ready? Number one, his spirit. He provides and he gives his own spirit to the church. Look at the, 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 the Paul, Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you, plural, you, all of you, y'all, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Paul is declaring that we, together, are being built to be a dwelling for God. That it's not the place, it's the people. When the people gather, that's dwelling. In the Old Testament, there was a physical temple where God lived on earth. But now, because of Jesus, He lives in the assembly of His people. That we are each a brick, each a living stone of God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, another letter that Paul writes, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Think about that. God's temple is sacred. It's mysterious. Usually mysteries, we want to solve them, but this one cannot be solved. This one is one to meditate on and worship God because of it. Can we be careful not to destroy the temple with our words, with our lack of gratitude? I don't know how many times I have been critical about something in church. And I leave church. You know what I'm saying? I'm critical about church. I don't know how many times I've been critical about people in church. Just in my heart or in my mind. Sometimes in my words. And it, just, it destroys God's temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is and you together are that temple. You better watch yourself next time you want to share something about somebody. You better be very careful. Next time you have, quote unquote, a better idea than so and so. And you, and you think you're better and you think it's better and they won't listen to you. So I'm going to go find another person because they don't listen to me. You better be very careful because you may be that person destroying God's temple, which is sacred, and you together are that temple. Can we, be, can we be a little bit more careful with our words now? Can we step back a little bit and just say, okay, it's, listen, as a leader, I, there are many people in here who are leaders in your jobs and your careers. As a leader, you're always looking for things that need to get fixed. It's fine. But get your hands dirty fixing it. Don't sit on the sidelines and be like, Reuben's going to fix it, the deacons are going to fix it, and the elder's going to fix it, and I'm just going to pray for them. <laughs> no, get in the mix. Get it going. Like, like you, 
build the temple. I read this and I was convicted in my heart. How many times I've just been critical. Why are we doing it this way? We should do it this way. And just say, listen, God loves the church more than I ever will. He will change it. He will wipe it clean. He will start it all. He'll do whatever he needs to do because this is his plan. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. You together are that temple. You you individually may not be, may, may not feel sacred and holy because you messed up this week and you were angry about this and you were upset about that. But I'm telling you, when you gather together with other Christians, with other members, with other people that are following Jesus, Scripture says here that you're sacred, that you together are that temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, what does the Spirit do in the body? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. The Spirit provides gifts that are to be used in the body. And there are different lists of gifts throughout the Scriptures. But the point is that the Spirit gives these to the body for the common good and to build up the body of Christ. God's Spirit provides these and manifests Himself in these gifts. You know, gifts like encouraging, serving, governing, administering, acts of mercy, hospitality. I mean, all these, all kinds of different gifts. What is your gift And are you using your gift in the body of Christ? I want to challenge us this summer to to discover what what is my spiritual gift? What is something that God has given me in his spirit that I can use to build up the body of Christ? God has given me the gift of proclamation. And teaching, and so I'm using this gift. God has given some of you the gift of hospitality, the gift of encouragement. There are many of you here who have the gift of encouragement that you just go up to somebody and smile, and that person feels encouraged. You don't have to say anything. You just smile at them. You have an encouraging smile. Whatever the case is, that's a spiritual. So work on your smile. Go in the mirror and just kind of work on you know, um, But the Spirit provides these gifts. To build up the body of Christ. Some of you are, um, you know, I appreciate, like, uh, the other night, we're doing these midweek classes, right? So uh, Brent Takeda is a, is a professional, he's an educator, right? So he's using a gift, there's a, there's a spiritual gift that can, be, that can be used there to use in the body of Christ. So he's doing a class every, on Wednesday nights that helps, and he's using that gift in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So there's so many, there's different ways. You may be like, I'm more of a behind-the-scenes guy. You could be the behind-the-scenes guy that's going to make awesome things happen in the assembly of believers. Well, I'm more, I just want to, I'm really good at making money. I make a lot of money, and I help the church advance, you know? I don't know what gift God has given you, but use it to build the body. The Spirit provides, this is a gift of God. Jesus feeding and caring for the body. He says, I'm leaving my spirit 
dwell in your midst and build you up to become sacred and holy as Peter prays. Isn't that cool? The second thing he gives is servant leadership. Ephesians 4 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles. Look at this. These people were not voted in. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ gave these roles to the church to equip the church for works of service, meaning that these roles are to help us find our gifts and use those gifts to build up the body of Christ and reach unity and maturity. This is God's idea. This is a gift from God to have these roles in the church, and yet we are so heavenly influenced by our world around us so as to easily mistrust leaders or criticize leaders when things don't go our way or we may disagree. Do you not think that God loves his body more than you ever will? Don't you think he will remove leadership that doesn't equip his people for works of service or leadership that is overbearing to his people? So in the meantime, trust God. Trust the spirit in those he has placed in those roles. You guys follow me here? Next time you want to gossip about a leader or slander a leader, I would suggest to be very careful to check your heart because this is Christ feeding and caring for his body. I would say next time you disagree with someone in leadership, in the leadership role, try assuming the best and not go so quickly towards they're so evil and dumb and have no idea what they're doing. How about a little trust? How about a little like, you know what? They have the best in mind. They're trying their best. I'll, I'll, I'll support. I'll, I'm with them. I'll pray for them. If I have disagreement, I'll share with them. I'll be honest and open. Are we going to have great dialogue? I just want to challenge us a little bit more. If we're going to stand back in worship of God for what he has done through the assembly of the gathered, that we would be a little bit more cautious to not allow the world's view of authority and leadership to influence how we navigate leadership and authority in the body of Christ. You guys hear me on that? Can, can I, I see some nodding heads, but can I get a little bit of an amen on that? We are so easily influenced by media and, and crit, you know, being critical of every leader that is in our political spectrum or whatever, we're so in our in our bosses and law enforcement officers, and we're so we're so quick to criticize all levels of authority in the world. But then we bring that into the sacred temple of God. It's just a little scary that we would get that way. That we would not trust God enough. That we would not assume the best. That we would not say, man, I'm just, this is Christ feeding and caring for the body. Providing these roles to equip his people. Not to do, the wor- not to do everything, but to equip his people. This is another thing that, I'm, that, that, 
that, that I'm convicted about as well, to equip his people for works of service. In, in other words, there's work to be done. You're a Christian. There's work to be done. There's works of service. And our, my role is to equip you for those works of service. Now, if you're finding yourself as a Christian not working, not, not using your gifts for works of service that build up the body of Christ, then I would encourage you and challenge you to check your heart. Where do I need to be? How do I need to be using what God's given me to build up the body of Christ? Now, a leader, this does not negate the leader's responsibility to be humble and to learn and to lead as Jesus did. To, be, to, to, to serve, to wash feet. And then the member's responsibility of the body to trust God and the Holy Spirit moving amongst those leaders and to be humble to being equipped in works of service. This is God gifting to his body to feed Sacred, sacred mission, a profound mission. Why would God use flawed people to lead flawed people? You know what I mean? That's a profound mystery. I would say, let's not solve it. Let's stand back and say, okay, this is God. And he's using weak and flawed people to lead weak and flawed people. But we can always acknowledge it is not us. It is all God. Amen? The last thing he gives before we take communion here is his grace. God gives his grace to his assembly. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Lastly, God gives his body the gift of grace, unmerited favor. I mean, it's the only reason why we're here today, that God allows us to have a relationship with him through Christ because he is full of grace. Amen, church? God's grace is seen. God's grace is felt and seen through his spirit and through the gift of leadership he has provided for the body. God's grace is seen in the way that he has not treated us as the way, treated us the way our sins deserve to be treated. The church has committed sins against many over its history. And God still provides and cares for the church and forgives and is faithful. God is gracious towards the church. For us to not treat one another with grace does not reflect God's character. Here we are, treated with much grace by God, and yet at many times making others jump through hoops to prove their repentance. Or being judgmental about where someone is at spiritually because of their perceived lukewarmness. Oh, that guy's just lukewarm. How do you know? Ask the And he may, I'm with you. Ask the questions. Get to know the person. We have a we have a a tendency to prejudge situations, and and I say I put myself in this in this in this in that same trajectory because I know myself. I can be oh well that guy he hasn't had a quiet time in a week. No wonder he's struggling. But like it's so easy to get there. But you are not. That's not how God treats us. God's grace 
teaches us to say no to ungodliness. God's grace trains us. What if we started treating one another the way that God treats us? Can we all learn from God a little bit here? Can we all learn from God and how he treats his body, the radiant bride of Christ, the church? As holy as Christ wants his body to be, there will always be an element of messiness because of our broken nature. Can we all just agree to that and accept that? Like, there will, there was never, there will never be a, quote, perfect church because of us. Because we're not perfect. There will always be an element of messiness in the church. Read 1 Corinthians. That was a messy church. People getting drunk at communion. That's a messy church. But Paul didn't start another church. God didn't wipe them out and say, I'm going to start all over again. No. Paul taught them, trained them, worked with them, met with them, wrote letters that were offensive to them. You see what I'm saying here? There will always be an element of messiness. Not everybody's going to be, not all our ducks are going to be in a row. You know, it's funny, as a leader in the church, I always want our ducks to be in a row. And once we have perfect conditions, then we can jump out and say, the thing I've learned over the years is that our ducks are never going to be in a row. Our ducks are going to be scattered all over the place. And all I have control over is what I have control over, which is to be a disciple, to love my wife, to love my children, Claim the gospel, and that the gospel will change and influence and transform us more and more into who he wants us to be. If I can't have all the ducks in a row, I'm okay. I've grown to be okay with a little bit of chaos. You need to come to my home right now, summertime, with all the kids not in school, you would sense it. There's just going to be a little bit of chaos in the home. You know what I'm saying? And in the church, we've got to be okay with a little bit of, a little bit of not everything's going to fit. But there are some people that will come back or be baptized that not, not everything's going to fit. And we'll be okay and comfortable to allow God's Spirit to teach us and guide us. God's grace. God's grace is, is scandalous. God's grace is unfair. God's grace is incredibly fair. Grace is, for many of us, feels unjust, but his grace is completely fair. Grace can be confusing. But can we be challenged a little bit here to learn from God and how he treats us and then turn around and treat each other in that same way? When we step back, when we step back, I just got a thought here because the the, the ushers are back there standing up. Every time I say I'm going to go into communion, it takes me so, a little bit to get into it. And so they stand up there forever. And then they make fun of me afterwards. Hey, you stand up before communion. We're standing here for 15 minutes. You're not in communion yet. I'm sorry. Pump fake, you know. Um, come back, come back. Let me get, let's, get, let's get our minds here. When we step back, when we step back to see what God is doing through the church, and the analogy that he uses to describe his relationship to the church, here's my hope. My hope is that we would honor him in the body. 
that we would pause and worship that we would be a bit more cautious and check our hearts before we start to criticize others. That we would take pause and evaluate whether what we are about to say is gossip or slander about anyone in church. That we would stand in awe of God and worship Him and be grateful for the church and the ways that God provides and gives and feeds and cares for His body. Church, listen, church, the gathering, the ecclesia, is the hope of the world. The church embodies the message that changes individuals and has the potential to change the world. It addresses mankind's three greatest concerns, sin, sorrow, and death. The church has answers to all these with the message of the gospel. You and I, We have been invited to participate in the activity of God in the world by being part of the sacred, holy temple of God, the assembly. Because it is, this is what God has been up to through the compassion of the church, through the message of the church, the interaction of church and community. The history of the church is embarrassing at times. That's the point, though, that in spite of us and our inconsistencies, the church continues to influence the world and grow. And it's not because we're smart. It's because Jesus said, I will build my gathering and nothing will stop it. We're going to take the bread. We're going to take the cup. As we take the bread and the cup, I want us to reflect a little bit here and worship God for the body of Christ. You may have issues in the body of Christ. You may need to provide some, give some forgiveness to somebody today. You may need to ask for forgiveness from somebody today. You may need to just start praying about a gift that you can be using to serve and to build up the body of Christ. You may need to make a decision just to start coming to church on time. You may need to commit to saying, you know what, Sundays is not enough. During the week, I need to be with the body of Christ. I need to be at Wednesday night with the, with the, uh, at our midi week or in a small group. I, I need to be in the gathering because when the church, when the, when, the, when the people gather, the Holy Spirit dwells in that midst of the sacred place. And God, Jesus says, I gave myself up for them. I feed and I clothe. I'm presenting her as a radiant bride take communion as we worship God together, amen? Father, we honor you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. As we take communion, help us to reflect on and remember how incredible you are and that you have given up, that Jesus has given up his life, shed his blood for this gathering, to follow us, to gather assembly, to worship you, to remember Jesus raising from the dead. With all of our quirkiness and weirdness at times, we thank you that you've chosen us and we praise you and we stand in awe and we worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.